one of your greatest attributes is that you have people skills coming out the wazoo and yet you are avoiding management like the plague and he said dell needs leaders like you and i'm gonna kick you out of the nest like you don't have a job in three months from now on my team i put your name in the ring for director roles in these different organizations go get one of them because you're not coming back to my team Hello to all our listeners. I'm Michaela Petty with TCU's Amplify Women in Sales, an initiative from the TCU Sales Center that extends to you and your story. We are a community dedicated to upskilling, empowering, and helping you reach your fullest potential. Carrie Palin is a rock star in the tech industry, working for companies such as Dell, IBM, Fox, plus more before accepting her current position as Chief Marketing Officer of Splunk, which focuses on making sense of big data to solve real-world problems. Splunk does more than $2 billion in sales per year. As Carrie said, Splunk might be the only multi-billion dollar company that you haven't heard about, but you need to. And I remember thinking, oh my God, what did I just do? Because Dell had become my family. I knew everybody there. I mean, 100,000 people, and I built my brand there. I was Dell. Dell was me. Like, could I do something outside of Dell, or was this going to be the biggest mistake of my life? And I was panicked. I'm sort of known for being overly transparent. I think that's one of the core pillars of who I am. So uh, I, I, there's, no, there's nothing I hold back. Like, the good, the bad, the ugly, I'm happy to talk about it. It is such an honor to be here. I have the most amazing job in the world. I get to speak to fabulous women like yourself and absorb your knowledge for our listeners. So thank you. Oh, I'm so pumped. Let's, let's have some fun. We have a powerful woman and a TCU grad on the podcast today, but her journey didn't begin the way most C-suite executives do. In fact, it begins in her childhood. I am a native Texan who moved around a lot because my dad, who was self-made, actually went into tech when it wasn't cool back in the 60s. Like no, he was an early pioneer in tech, in tech sales and marketing. And so the acorn doesn't fall far from the tree. My mom and dad are both Midwesterners. So I have this Midwestern work ethic, but Southern roots, if that makes any sense. My mom was uh, the first in her family to go to college on a full ride academic scholarship. Uh, she's a complete, uh, am I allowed to say a bad word on this? Go for it. She's a total badass. So she and my dad, she and my dad were both incredibly hardworking, um, and they raised us to really value family, God, education, and to really strive for whatever that you wanted to, and that it was possible. And so I just grew up believing that there weren't many limits. What a phenomenal mom to have in, in general. How amazing she raised you to look at women. We can go as far as we want. My mom and my dad, like honestly, they were. They were way before, ahead of their time, right? And I just never felt like there was anything weird about being a girl like, or odd or that I couldn't achieve anything. I grew up in a neighborhood of boys primarily in Austin and I was outside neck and neck with them uh, at the basketball hoop every day and I played sports growing up and competitively, I was incredibly competitively wired. But, you know, I was in student government and my mom stuck me in UIL poetry reading competitions in third grade and I still thank her for that because I have zero fear of public speaking and I... You know, today I speak in front of sometimes tens of thousands of people at a, at a, at a clip. And it just, it, I, my parents just set me up in a way that I can't thank them enough for having a pretty normal, regular childhood, but one that was full of love and support and discipline, but really set me up to believe that I could achieve anything. And so the only way you get to where people are in their careers as executives is that you have to, at, at your core, believe that you can do it. 
and achieve Carrie has. What great advice for women everywhere. Just that little bit. Believe in yourself. Then, Carrie discussed her time at TCU. Side note, go frogs! And how ironic some of those moments ended up defining her career and life. Yeah, so the funny part about TCU, two little quick anecdotes. I love my four years there. I had an amazing time. Um, and I love my professors and I went there because of the student teacher ratio and the incredible communications and journalism school. I actually never took a marketing class. Didn't think I was going to do marketing coming out of college. Took a PR job at Dell. I interviewed out of college. It wasn't a great job market in 94. I interviewed sports marketing firms and it came down to, I got a job offer from a sports marketing firm in Minneapolis and an offer to do PR at Dell. And my passion was sports marketing, but Bell offered me a thousand dollars more annually. So I think my salary was like $27,000 and I could live with my parents for a few months and get on my feet in Austin. And so I took the job I didn't want and, and that launched my career in tech. But three months into being there, Dell reorged as big companies do all the time. And they put me in marketing and I literally had a panic attack. I'd never read a marketing book. I had no idea how to market. Sometimes the wrong move ends up being the right choice. And I was placed underneath a lady who was just fresh out of Harvard MBA and one of the biggest studs to ever go through the walls of Dell and just took no prisoners. I thought, oh my God. I'm going to be jobless in about a nanosecond because I'm going to meetings where I have no idea what they're talking about. So it was, it was a, a baptism by fire, but I'm telling you, it like set me up for this career of pivots and changes and dealing with ambiguity and hard times that actually defined who I am. But the one other funny story from TCU that I just really quick, it, this is the, <laughs> my dad, because he was in tech, my senior year said, you have to take a computer literacy course. And I was like, come on, dad. Like, no. And he was like, he said, Carrie, we're paying for education. You must take one computer course before you graduate. And so it's the only class at TCU I took pass fail because it was second semester, my senior year. I'd made really good grades, but I was like, I'm ready to get out of here. And so I barely showed up to class because I took it pass fail, which it was not like me. I usually sat in the front row, was taking fastidious notes. I love school, but I was just, I was just done. And I remember I barely passed that class by the skin of my teeth. I was sweating it. Like I went to the teacher after finals. And I said, how'd I do? Like literally I was, I was sweating it. And she said to me, and I'll never forget this. And I still giggle about this to this day. She said, Carrie, she said, you passed. You're okay. Get on with your life. Like go have a great life. And she's like, you know, listen, I, I know you weren't terribly plugged in this semester. So I get it. She's like, but you got to focus on things that matter in life. I was like, absolutely. And she said, and by the way, don't stress the fact that you didn't really grok this computer stuff. You know, tech isn't for everyone. Wow. What a full circle. You went from not marketing, don't go into tech, and now you're the CMO of Splunk. Wow. I spent my whole career in tech and it wasn't what I wanted to do. And I didn't even show up for class. And so it's just amazing how life happens, right? And so, but I will tell you when I care about something and I get eyeball deep in it, like my passion is unparalleled. And I think that's also what kind of defined my career and why my career took off is because I just outworked everybody. I, I worked harder and I always just worked harder. That is great advice. And I feel it's very pertinent to today's atmosphere because the job market is a little uncertain right now. And you left college in the same environment. Yeah. I mean, we didn't have COVID, right? So I don't want to, for one second, say these aren't incredibly unprecedented times, but the economy was not nearly in the same place and it was really hard to find a job. I spent my entire second semester of my senior year 
interviewing. I didn't go on spring break. And my parents were like, Hey, you need to figure this out. And we'll introduce you to friends and send your resume out. But honestly, this is your job. And they had expectations that I would go figure that out. And so I did, I, I interviewed and I got two job offers after interviewing probably in about 16 different places. That's phenomenal. That is impressive and encouraging for someone going into the job market. So continuing in your career, you started at Dell, you went into this PR and then marketing. How did you survive? How did you do it? I mean, it took a few miracles, honestly. And I think God was looking out for me. And then also I just found friends and I found mentors and I immediately sought people out who I knew would keep my confidence. And I said, look, I just don't know enough about this. Can I learn from you? And, you know, on the little salary I had, I'd buy them lunch and ask them questions and all the stupid questions I didn't want to ask in front of my boss. And then I just got in, I just started learning insatiably online, like just everything I could get my hands on. I would read and in meetings, I would listen and I would take notes like crazy. And then I'd go back and I'd highlight those notes. People used to joke. I'd carry these little books around. They call them Carrie's Bible at Dell because I would have the most insane amount of notes. It was like I was still in college that were color coded and highlighted, but that's how I, I learned on the job. And it was, there's no better education than learning on the job because everything changes so fast that even what you learn in college is, is going to change when you get out. When I left school, you know, consumer packaged goods were the marketing jobs that everybody wanted. Now tech is where it's at. And if you really want your career to take off, like very few people are heading to consumer packaged goods these days, they're absolutely heading to tech and business to business, which just wasn't the big sexy back then. It is now. Love it. Moving on, you kept going. And where did you end up? I know you went to Dell and IBM at some point. Yeah. So I, I went to Dell for a year, but I literally didn't make enough money to not live outside my parents' home. And while I love them, uh, I really wanted to prove that I could be on my own. $26,000 a year, 27 with taxes. I mean, it doesn't yield a whole lot. So I got an offer to do uh, high-tech sales outside of Dell. And so I went to Fujitsu for a year um, and did high-tech sales on a product that hadn't come to market yet. So can you imagine selling something that actually didn't appear? And it was a great, it was a great experience, but because they couldn't get these hard drives to actually make it to market, I was offered another job at another tech company that was based in the Valley, Diamond Multimedia, which is now NVIDIA, which is a big company in the Valley. And I sold graphics cards for um, desktops to Dell and Compaq, which doesn't exist anymore. It's now HP and Gateway, which doesn't exist. And then after that, I went into IBM sales uh, and I sold hard drives to Dell. Uh, so that all encompassed about four and a half years, which is very quick changes. And I love sales. But Dell came calling in 1999 and said, hey, you really need someone to run marketing around our storage products. And it's a new portfolio for us. And I said, look, I don't, I don't, but you're talking about like big high-end mainframe storage, like, you know, storage area networks. Like I sell hard drives and they said, yeah, I said, but yes, but I sell this technology called EIDE hard drives, which you would have no idea what that is being your age. But they looked at me and said, the mere fact that you know the difference between EIDE and fiber channel means you're our gal. And we think you're right for this job. And I literally was like, okay, well, I was kind of tired of sales. And I knew that while I love sales, marketing was really my passion. And I thought, okay, let's go do this. And then I spent 16 years at Dell, which is nuts. I, I mean, it, nuts in a great way. I mean, I have some great things that came out of that. And obviously probably some things that I still have neuroses about because I grew up there. Um, but it was an amazing company back in the day and it still is. And I, I credit Dell for a lot of who I am today. Um, but Dell did one thing really well that a lot of things really well, but one thing by their people really well is that they took high potential talent and moved them around 
actively and develop them in different jobs every two years. And so if you were part of that high, identified high potential pool, you got really great opportunities. So you got this breadth of opportunity at one multinational global corporation that felt like you were at 10 different companies. And, and so that's one of the reasons why I stayed so long is the development was just un- unreal. That's amazing. And really what our listeners are about, they're high achievers, high potentials. There is a lot of data on high potential employees. These studies show that high potential employees drive a large proportion of organizational results. So the top 1% of accounts account for 10% of organizational output, and the top 20% of accounts account for 80% of organizational output. If you could go back and give Carrie working at Dell one piece of advice, what would you tell yourself? I would love to know. Yeah, so here's what I would tell you. I actually wasn't super serious about my career in my 20s. Like, I loved it. I I, I achieved a lot. Like, I was ranked in the top 10% of whatever. But I just wanted to have a great life and I worked to live. And so I wanted to be in the top percentage of whatever at Dell, but I wasn't thinking about being a CMO. Like literally in my 20s, I was like, this is great. I get paid well. I don't have to manage people, which is messy and it takes time. And I want to be a really awesome individual contributor that can work from anywhere. I want to work in Europe for a few years. And I did that. And it was finally a mentor that kicked me out of the nest that said, Carrie, like, you can't do this the rest of your life. You need to get serious about your career. And this is in my thirties. And so this is leading to my answer, which is, I think at the core of my being at that time, I actually didn't believe that I belonged in the C-suite. And so even though I believed I could do anything, I just was like, oh, that's for people who go back and get their MBAs at Harvard and Wharton and Stanford. And like, I'm not as serious about my career. I love my career, but I also, you know, I want to have family and so that's not my thing. And I remember this guy looked at me and he's still a, an SVP at Dell and he's amazing. Um, and he said, look, um, as you grow up the food chain, your ability to manage, but not just manage, but lead and inspire people matters way more than what you can do as an individual. And he said, and he said, it's not about you. And he said, believe, he's like, and what's stunning to me is one of your greatest attributes is that you have people skills coming out the wazoo. And yet you are avoiding management like the plague. And he said, Dell needs leaders like you. And I'm going to kick you out of the nest. Like you don't have a job in three months from now on my team. I put your name in the ring for director roles in these different organizations. Go get one of them because you're not coming back to my team. How amazing to have a mentor like that. I'm getting goosebumps just listening to this. Let me say his name because he's amazing. His name is Brian Jones, B-R-Y-A-N. And he's maybe one of the greatest leaders I've ever been around. And he's also a dear friend, but he was the... He, he cared about me enough to tell me the really reals and not just, you know, fluff my ego. And so he would tell me about my blind spots and where I needed to develop and all the things. But he just said, look, it's time and I'm going to kick you out of the nest and someday you'll thank me. But right now I know you're really pissed at me and that's just the way it is. He's the one who had the confidence in me when I didn't have it. My point is that I wish I had known in my late 20s that anything truly is possible. My parents had told me that, but I think deep in my core, I still doubted myself that imposter syndrome that so many people have even here in the Valley and so many leaders that have been here forever have it. It's super contagious by the way, but I'm finally at a place in my life where I know that I know that things are hard, but you can do anything if you work hard enough and you have enough support around you and you have a good head on your shoulders. So I just believe in yourself early. So how did you end up the CMO of Splunk? Can you walk me through the rest of your journey? It's a little bit circuitous. So give me a second, because this is going to be a fairly, 
elongated story. I love it. Let's do it. I remember I was newly married uh, towards the end of my tenure at Dell. And my husband, who's a brilliant guy, an entrepreneur, um, looked at me one day and he said, are you going to work at Dell forever? And there was just long, silent pause. And I had never thought about that. I literally just had not crossed my mind. And I was like, I don't know. And he, was, he looked at me, he's like, Carrie, there's so many opportunities out there. And he said, why, why limit yourself to what Dell believes you can do? Why not try things that may be greater and harder? And I looked at him at that point in time, and he had never said anything like that to me. And I, I was like, do you really think I can do this? And he said, yes. And he said, I think, I think you need to start being open to the recruiting calls. And so that started this whole thing because I respected him so much and his brilliant mind. He had worked on Wall Street and, you know, gone to Northwestern and gotten his MBA. Like he's, he's a brilliant guy. And, and I thought, okay, well, gosh, if he thinks I can do this, maybe I really can. And, you know, Brian Jones thinks I can do this. Maybe I really can. And building that confidence. Yes. Building that confidence. But two weeks later, out of the blue, two recruiters called me for VP jobs outside of Dell that were at IBM and Ericsson. And Ericsson was all of North America marketing to run that. And uh, IBM, it was to, there was this half a billion dollar startup within IBM that was their first real effort to go into the cloud and in software cloud, which was a big deal. And I had wor worked in infrastructure my entire career, like server storage, laptops, desktops. The future was cloud and I knew it. And Dell didn't really do enough cloud for me to get that experience there. And um, the guy that was running this division for IBM had sold his SaaS company to IBM a year prior. He's 42 years old. He was this magnanimous, amazing leader that I will never forget when I met him the first time. And I, he's like, I want you to run my marketing. And he said, IBM wants me to hire from within. And I said, okay. I said, what do you think? And he's like, I want you to run my marketing. You're my gal. And I wanted to work, I didn't want to go work for IBM necessarily. And it's a great company, but it was kind of Dell 2.0. But this startup within IBM that was run by this amazing guy who had started many companies, failed at a bunch of them, the majority of them, but this one, he had sold to IBM and crushed it. And I thought, gosh, I want to learn from him. Because that's the, one of the biggest lessons in my career is learn from people, right? Like you never know anything. You never know everything. Be open to lifelong learning. And I thought if I'm ever going to make the pivot from hardware into cloud software, he's my guy. And so I went to work for this guy named Derek Shuttle. And he's still a mentor and friend to this day. And he is no longer at IBM. And he's uh, doing venture capital and crushing it on the East Coast. But I learned so much from him in a year and a quarter that it was, it was just, it launched me into this place where it made me believe that I could change. Cause the day I left Dell and I literally got on a plane to Boston to go to this job for the first time, I remember flying on the airplane. It was a big company, all hands that he wanted me to be at. And I got on this plane and I started to panic. Like I've never panicked in my life. I've never had a panic attack. And I felt like I was having a hard time breathing. And I remember thinking, oh my God, what did I just do? Because Dell had become my family. I knew everybody there. I mean, 100,000 people and I had built my brand there. I was Dell. Dell was me. Like, could I do something outside of Dell or was this going to be the biggest mistake of my life? And I was panicked. And I remember sitting there in that moment thinking, okay, I can either like pull it together <laughs> and get on with it. Or this is going to be a really miserable, terrible day. And I couldn't go back to Dell because I left for IBM, who was a competitor, and they have policies around that. Like, it wasn't like I was going backwards. It was a big change, a large step, so to speak. 
huge. And I, and then there was this like 15 minutes into this like panic attack where I'm like, breathe, Carrie, breathe, like looking at the ceiling. Uh, honest to God, I remember thinking, I have a one-year-old daughter at home in Austin and I have a four-year-old son. What do I tell them if I don't have the courage to go do this someday? It literally was this moment of like total and complete clarity. And I thought, dang it, like I already talked to them about courage and he's four. I'd be the biggest hypocrite if I didn't have the courage to go do this. And so I did. And it was like that moment like calmed my entire nervous system. And I thought, all right, you're going to go do this. And if it's a total disaster, you're going to learn from it, but you're going to go do this. So fast forward. And Derek, that guy told me he was likely not going to be at IBM forever. And I knew at that point, because I was basically a mini CMO of this division of IBM, handled end-to-end marketing. So I, I pruned out, I could do that. All the parts of marketing that I could actually handle that and lead a team that was of that substance that was driving this new business. And I thought, you know, what's interesting to me, it's not working for a company the size of Dell or IBM, but working for a really high growth tech company that has great technology, but hasn't figured out marketing yet. I want to go build. Almost entrepreneur type. Yeah, I, I don't, I'm not a startup gal. I don't want to be pre-IPO. I love the public company lane. Like I like the rhythms of Wall Street. I get that. I understand it. But a smaller company in the, you know, 100 million plus range that still has a lot of growth to do and they need the operational expertise that I picked up from Dell because that was one of the greatest things I learned there. And the business expertise because Dell taught me how to be a business person first and a marketer second. And so... I remember I got a call from this company called Box, and you may know them. Um, I know TCU at some point has used it for their, their students. TCU still uses Box for everything. Great. So it's a great, it's a great product. And I remember I got a call from Box, and they said, hey, we're looking for a CMO. And would you be interested in talking to us? And I said, you know, the timing's not awesome, but it's a great company. I've followed you guys, uh, cloud storage and, uh, and, you know, collaboration software. And I said, you know, I'd love to at least have the conversation. And so we were talking over the phone, the recruiter, and then a couple weeks in, they're like, hey, we'd like to fly you out to California to meet with Aaron. Uh, Aaron being Aaron Levy, who's the founder and CEO, who was 30 years old at the time. Classic. I don't know if you've ever watched the show Silicon Valley, but if you haven't, you should. And literally, it's, it's all about the madness and craziness of Silicon Valley. But you have 30-year-olds who are worth billions of dollars walking around Silicon Valley that have created companies and never worked anywhere else and never lived anywhere else. And so there's this like insular environment that not many people break into. I mean, it's like most people went to Berkeley or they went to Stanford and they've lived here forever. And it's a very tight knit thing. And I come walking in on a Sunday. Cause I said, I can't go during the week. I need to focus on my job, but I'll, I'll come out on a Sunday if he wants to meet. And I remember getting picked up by an Uber and this is 2016. And I went to headquarters and there's no one in the office, but him. And he walks in and he's got an old t-shirt on and his hair looks like Einstein, like just curling, like going everywhere. And he's got jeans on and, and he's like, he starts pelting me with questions. And I mean, toughest interviews you've ever considered in your life. Anyhow, so here's the deal. Aaron wanted a sitting CMO, someone who had already done this at a SaaS company, a cloud SaaS company. And he had in his mind that he was not going to hire anybody but but they had been looking for a year and they hadn't found anyone. They had talked to every sitting CMO in the Valley that would talk to them and there wasn't a fit one way or the other. And so he had to open up his search to VPs of SaaS cloud companies that he wasn't interested in. And actually it worked totally against me to be at IBM and to have had Dell on. He didn't want anybody from big corporate. So I didn't, I didn't check hardly any of the boxes that he wanted. 
But this exec recruiter said, hey, you need to talk to this gal. I think she's our gal. I really do. Just like, but keep in mind also, this was 2016, an election year. The country was very divided. And here I am walking into incredibly politically liberal Silicon Valley, talking to a 30-year-old founder CEO who didn't think he wanted someone from a big company. He wanted somebody who had already been a CMO. And my last name's Palin and I hail from a red state. Oh, no. That took an insane amount of courage. I couldn't even imagine. It it was insane. And I had no idea what I was getting into. And he didn't either, by the way. So we went on this two-month thing where I would fly out almost every Sunday. I would spend the entire day with he and his senior staff interviewing. I'd fly home on the last flight out. And he'd ask me to send him homework on the flight. He'd say, well, I want to know what you think about this. Can you send it to me before you land in Austin? And then he wouldn't respond. And I thought, well, this is over. And then two days later, the recruiter would call and say, no, 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 no. It's, it, he wants you back again. He's still interested. It was the craziest interview thing I'd ever been through. Long story short is I ended up getting the offer. But right before I got the offer, it was I remember I was sitting out there with Aaron and then his COO at the time, um, Dan Levin, who's an amazing man. Both of them are amazing guys, by the way. And I feel very indebted to them for launching my career in the C-suite. But I remember sitting talking to Dan Levin that day and I said, Dan, I said, what's, what's your biggest concern? He's like, Carrie, we're going to offer you this job. And I said, great. And, and he said, we want you to move to California. I said, not so great. Because, you know, like my, my entire support system was in Texas. I had two young kids. And I, he, said, um, he said, are you willing to do that? And I said, possibly. The economics have to work, right? And um, cost of living is crazy high here and all the things. I said, Dan, what is the biggest concern you have putting me in this job? That's a great question. Most people might not be willing to ask that. What are your concerns about me? Yeah. I said, what's your biggest concern? So what is the biggest concern you have about putting me in this job? And he looked at me and he looked me dead in the eye. And I really liked Dan because he was just no BS. He told you like, like it was. And the, my interviews were even harder with him than they were with Aaron. And, and he was, you know, 50 something human who had been around the Valley a ton, super mature. And he was just awesome. He still is. And he said, Carrie, my biggest concern is that you've never done this before. And again, long pause, right? And sometimes people give you feedback. You need to just take it in. And I looked at him and I said, Dan, I'm scared to death because I've never done this before. I said, but here's the thing. I can tell you that if I'm going to move my family across the country to be in California with no support system, as much as family means to me, and I'm going to come do this if I am, that... I am going to die trying. And if I do fail, it will, it will not be because I didn't put enough effort in. And I will wake up every day busting my ass for you and Aaron to make this work. And I said, but I can't promise it's going to be a success. And it could be the biggest mistake of my life. And he was like, yep, it could. And then he looked at me and he said, but I don't think it will be. And he said, if you're not going to be our CMO, you'll be a CMO somewhere very soon. After all of that, what a story, that whole interview process. <gasps> oh, one more funny for you, just because it's hysterical. Dan, Dan's going to kill me for saying this on a podcast, but he asked me the hardest question I've ever been asked in any interview. So after three interviews with him, at the end of the third interview, he sat there and he got really close to my face. And he's like, okay, I've got one last question for you. And he's like, I know this is going to sound really strange, but <sighs> tell me about Dan Levin. What? Right. In the third person. Basically, he was saying, tell me who I am. He was like, he's like, tell me a little bit about Dan Levin. He was looking for, it was a tested EQ. 
what have I picked up in three interviews with him? What could I tell him? And he didn't, it wasn't just a, oh, he's six foot four and he's a relatively handsome guy, but he needs a haircut. Like it wasn't that. And then he probed further and he's like, what's it going to be like working for Dan Levin? What do you think the biggest challenge is going to be working for Dan Levin? It was the hardest question of my life, but that is actually where I won the job because what I had picked up about him and what I was willing to say to him completely, honestly, transparently, he knew that we could have a really strong working relationship and that we could have talks about the really reels from day one, which usually take years to develop. And that my ability to, pro to progress in the job would be there. And I'd be able to be mentored by him and learn from him immediately because I was willing to be super honest with him in that interview, in that moment, knowing that a job offer was on the line. Interested in what happens to Carrie next? Tune into our next podcast and hear the rest of her story. Plus, Carrie describes what advice she would give to her younger self and her three pillars for young women starting their career. Believe me, you don't want to miss it. Subscribe to Amplify Women in Sales wherever podcasts are found. You can also connect with us on LinkedIn. Just search Amplify Women in Sales and you'll find a community ready to amplify together. If you like the show and haven't already, give us a rating and a review. It helps more rising leaders like you find us, which widens this community's impact. 